Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 19, verse 14. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. My name is Vivian McNenny, and I'm going to be bringing you homeschool insights and delights from our household, where God is present in ordinary places, including my useless English washing machine that uses about half a cup of water to launder my sheets. This afternoon, life could do with being more ordinary as we reel from the flood of changes that have suddenly occurred in our lives. Each week, I lure an unsuspecting, hugely fascinating person to join me for part of the show with offers of social media exposure, and they come willingly to talk about aspects of family life, which usually relate to homeschooling, but always speak straight to the heart of parents who place the responsibility of child-rearing above their highest joy. Today, I've got a treat for you. I'm being interviewed by one of my recent guests, Melitza Avila, for her weekly podcast. I'll be in the hot seat for a change, answering some challenging questions about regrets and positive changes. No regrets, I hope. I'll also be chatting to myself about how I solved having to read my children's favourite books, not always mine, night after night at bedtime. I'm still drinking chamomile tea to alleviate the rushedness of life and chowing down on a Kit Kat. Chocolate works wonders to banish the angst. So let's get started so I can nip down to the fish and chip shop later. While considering what I did with my children while they were young and happy to be directed, guided and moulded, I want to share with you a valuable idea I came up with while I was still three children short of a pastel. I'd been the satisfied mother of one boy for almost three years, and we'd developed a routine which, since he was my first, I felt very strongly about changing. Yes, I was one of those mums who turned down invitations to go places if it interfered with my young son's nap or bedtime. We had routines I would break for no one, simply because I thought habit takes months to form but days to break. I didn't want to ruin our schedule. I didn't want to risk my son not falling asleep at bedtime and continuing to dream for eight or nine hours without interruption just because I kept him up way past his bedtime once or twice. I had a quandary I was facing at this time. I had to go into the hospital to have his younger sibling and because of my previous C-sections, soon to become a history of C-sections, I was scheduled to be away for five days. Five days when he wouldn't hear my voice. The day before I was due to go and meet with my obstetrician and my brand new baby, I sat on my son's bed while he was at his babysitter's, the trash truck was making its rounds outside, and recorded him a short tape of my voice, singing nursery rhymes, telling him I loved him, and talking about things we enjoyed doing together. He loved this tape apparently, but after I came home with his baby brother, he had no need for it again. But the seed had been sown. I've always loved to read, But even the most passionate of word lovers eventually breaks down when asked again for possibly the 10th or maybe 20th time that day to read the current favourite book of the week. I have to confess, I often misplaced books. 
Undaunted, my toddlers would scramble under the bed, pull out all the toys they put away that day, push aside a couple of bedrolls and reappear, bottoms first, triumphantly bearing the offending tome. It really wasn't a tome, I'm exaggerating, but it was offending with its 30-page weight resting heavily in my hands. Gracelessly, I'd adjust it on my lap, mentally resolving to burn it later as my grandmother had unceremoniously burned my grandfather's library of books to make room for a Welsh dresser before the war. My children gleefully would helpfully open it for me and lie expectantly in front of me to watch me turn pages and read aloud. I had to read it as if it was my first time through and they listened enraptured as if it was their first time to hear. I know many of you feel the same way I did, exhausted by that tireless cat running amok through the house with Sally and me, who have irresponsibly been left home alone again. Thoroughly irritated by Amelia Bedelia's elemental interpretation of Mr. and Mrs. Rogers' instructions, bored by that little bird asking, Are you my mother? Who cares? I'm telling you, I teetered on the brink of neglect. I became a heretic of children's literature. The Grinch could steal Christmas, Nemo could stay lost, and just leave the boy who doesn't want to get up today in bed, without books, the brat. I bravely endured this burden of repetition in an effort to pass on my love of reading to my children. I clenched my teeth through whole sections of plotless infant and toddler literature for more than three years, or 1,095 bedtimes. How often can the inner groan be suppressed when your child hands you his battered, dog-eared book at bedtime, whose words should have curled up and rolled off the page by now with all your withering looks? What do you do when you don't want to read Marvin K. Mooney, Will You Please Go Now? Or Big Bird Don't Cry Again? Well, here's what I did. I set them on a top shelf in my bookcase until that day when I could bring myself to face them again, I guessed sometime in my 80s. Some of them have found their way into the attic to obligingly disappear for years, but these are only temporary measures for there is that hallowed institution, the public library. My young children who frequented this establishment gained experience. I had taught them well. They headed for the early readers' section to rediscover their best friends lost at home somewhere, tucked enticingly among other books on low bookshelves that they could easily reach. They'd obediently suppress their shouts of joy in this silent place and stagger towards me with grins on their faces and piles of books clutched to their chests as if they were in danger of escaping, which if they had my way, they would. And they'd whisper, "'Look what I found, Mummy!' and my inner groan escaped as an admonition to keep their voices down. I'd look and notice whole series of Amelia Bedelias and Sesame Streets and consider depositing half the titles on the reshelving trolley. Instead, I'd hurry off to guide my budding literati towards some new authors whose words haven't been flogged to death yet. Did you know it's possible to fall asleep while reading out loud and not be caught? My secret's out. Dr. Seuss and I can both read with our eyes shut tight. I was preparing to go on a business retreat. This was pre-homeschool and I was still a corporate executive. I had a hard, I had a heart though, albeit an altruistic one, and was worrying once again about how my two sons now, under four, were going to manage for a few days without the familiar voice of their mother reading to them at bedtime. I had a light bulb above my head moment. 
I would record on cassette tape some of their all-time favorite books to play in their shared tape recorder, up until now the exclusive domain of Rafi and Sherry Lewis, which resided on a shelf in their room. Pouncing on this brilliant idea, I collected a few books and settled down to read aloud into the microphone. This was a self-conscious exercise, but I have to admit that after the first couple of books, I became more relaxed, and in addition to the text, I added familiar modifications and personal edits that had crept in during their recurrent readings that only we knew about. I included instructions to turn the tape over after side one and to sleep well at the end of side two. I blew kisses, told them I loved them, cooed and sang, and this is where first came on the scene. The cassette lasted an hour. The very first bedtime story tape was published and its successors were called birthday tapes because I would make one for each birthday. By the time my second son was a year old, I had already made his big brother a tape for his third birthday and together we had compiled baby brother's first birthday tape. It's time for me to go on a short break. And when I return, you'll hear me being interviewed by my guest from the other week, Melitza Avila, who also has a weekly radio show called Raising Playful Tots. We came up with the idea of double dipping, so you'll hear what she will be broadcasting. I hope you enjoy listening to me in the hot seat for a change. So I'll be back in just a few moments. Don't go far. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. To Vivian McNenny, former owner of a seaside restaurant and bar in the Channel Islands, powerboat racer, water skier, and full-on water babe. She married her blue-eyed cowboy and calls Texas her home. She dispelled the myth that homeschoolers were odd and her children graduated from college despite the fact that they were never chained to the kitchen table. And today, Vivian hosts her own show on Toginet Radio called The Sociable Homeschooler, where she encourages like-minded parents from all walks of life to consider homeschooling as a heroic and viable move away from traditional school. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Melitza. Pleasure to be here. (laughs) 
Oh, it's lovely to have you. We want to talk a little bit about homeschooling today. And how old are your children? Let's start there. All right. Well, my children are, my oldest is 27. Then um, uh, a boy, my second oldest is 25. He's going, well, yeah, he just turned 25. He's also a boy. And then my oldest girl is 23 and my youngest girl is 21. So you have been homeschooling way past the stage that most of the listeners that are listening um, are at. Yeah, I started homeschooling my oldest when he was eight. So I've been homeschooling for close to 20 years, almost 20 years. So what was it like homeschooling? I don't want to say back in the day because that makes it sound terrible, but (laughs) what was it like homeschooling when you were homeschooling? Because I know that it's really evolved and really changed. So Tell us a little bit what, about what it was like. Well, when I first started homeschooling, it was totally legal here in Texas. And I had a friend who became my homeschool mentor. And she had been homeschooling for many years by the time I came along for probably about eight or nine years. And she said that her group were risking being sent to prison while they were homeschooling. So it changed rapidly within about five years there in the mid-80s when a lawyer Um, went to court for um, a group of homeschooling families to prove that it was in the Texas Constitution. Now, we have a separate constitution to America. I mean, obviously, we have the American Constitution, but Texas has its very own. And um, it was proven there that because of prairie life, you know, um, homeschooling has always been a part of our lives as Texans. So, um, once and for all, it was it was legal. So it's a totally legal. And so you can't get thrown in jail anymore or anything like that. And it is actually legal across the whole of America now. So that's so, good. So when you were homeschooling, when you first started out homeschooling, how many people would you say were homeschooling at that time? Did you know many people? Was it um, well, visible? Yeah, um, not really, because I really wasn't looking for it. I had this stereotype of homeschoolers, you know, being sort of um, earth mums. And I really didn't want to align myself with that group. But when I met my friend, um, you know, things I started to realize that, you know, homeschoolers are just ordinary people like myself. And, um, you know, it's just it was I can't remember what exactly what your question was. You said um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, it's, it's all right. I was just asking what it was like. Were you visible as a homeschooler? Oh, was I visible? Yeah, yeah. Were they visible? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yes, there were homeschoolers around, but my church didn't have any homeschoolers, yet her church, because she was a Baptist, was full of homeschoolers. <laughs> I mean, really, it just depends on the denomination as to whether or not you're going to find homeschoolers within the church. And there weren't any in my church, but my priest was very, very supportive of it. You know, people just kind of looked at you really funny when, when you know, sort of you said that you homeschooled. They don't so much anymore because there's been a lot of things going on in our schools here in America that are making people want to look at, you know, sort of either safety issues within the schools or what can they do. So, you know, more than just reasons for religion, there are there are now other reasons um, about, well, behind why a lot of parents are deciding to homeschool. And some of it is educational, I have to admit. Mm. Well, the reason why I asked you onto the show today was partly because you are out the other side. You've got children who have 
have they all graduated college? Yes, they've all graduated from college now. Yeah, they've all graduated and come yeah. out the other side. Yeah. And often one of the questions people ask, uh, you know, with homeschooling families, do the children ever get to college and do they ever make anything of themselves? And people often wonder what happens to them. Yeah. And I thought it would be nice for you to come on and share with parents that are thinking about homeschooling or just, just kind of dispel some of the ideas that are around about what it's like to homeschool and how you managed to get your children to the point where they could go to college. All right. Um, first off, for me, homeschooling was a lifestyle. When we decided to homeschool, my husband and I, it completely changed our outlook on family life. Suddenly, the children were at home um, with me initially and then with my husband as well because he um, also worked from home all the time. They were here 24-7. So we were mentors. We just could not, not relax, but we, we were, we were an example the whole time that there were no several hours at school where we could kind of just, you know, sort of relax and be ourselves. So it became definitely a lifestyle. My children, I found, came first in everything, no matter what I was doing, for myself, if it was writing, which I love to do, if they needed something, or if they needed me, I would stop what I was doing and I would help them either with school or play or whatever it is. Come, can we go for a bike ride? Can you watch us while we go swim in the pool? It's a lovely day. Can we go out walking or whatever? And I always had time for them because I considered that small amount of time, which has been 20 years, and you know what? Those years flew by. That small amount of time for me was for them. And now my husband and I are, you know, sort of reliving, not reliving, but trying to recreate what life was like before our children. It's just the two of us because it is pretty much just the two of us now. But, you know, those years with my children. So I dedicated my time to my children completely. Um, So for me, that was a lifestyle. I couldn't do anything else. You know what I mean? I didn't want to go out and get a job. I didn't want to mess around with putting them back in school for a year if they wanted to go to school. We decided we were going to homeschool and that was it. We would do formal school in the mornings, mostly. We got up early, you know, and um, started school and we'd be finished round about lunchtime, mm-hmm. which was 12 or 1 o'clock. And then we could do the, you know, we could do pretty much what, what we wanted to do, which when they were younger, you know, definitely involved me a lot because, you know, we'd go out for a walk or we'd ride our bikes, we'd go play ball or we'd swim or, you know, any any of those outdoor activities. We'd always out, they always seemed to be outside. Um, when they got older, they could sort of, rel- they, they were with each other. So they, they had their own projects. I had a filmmaker. So he had a video camera and he'd make films and he even learned how to edit himself when he was like 11. And all of the children, you know, they wanted to be in it. They wanted to be the actors. Then I had another son who loved to cook. So he had his little cafe in his head, this cafe was. It was in my kitchen. But the <laughs> idea of this beautiful cafe was all in the mind. And they would make... Um, um, oh, um, some all kinds of special coffees. I had to, you know, add on my my grocery list. You know, these special little syrups that would go in the coffees, and they would um, 
make these coffees and frost the milk and everything and ask anybody that walked through the kitchen, which, of course, lots of people walk through the kitchen in my house all the time because we love the kitchen. Uh, you know, do you want a cup of coffee? And, and, I'd, and I'd go, well, what's happening with your math? What's happening with this? Well, we're just having a break. We're just having our coffee or our 11s or whatever it was that they decided they were having. And so it was, it was just kind of like it was, it was flexible and they, they entertained themselves a lot. They, they just, they just loved doing that. Anyway, so we would do that. And I knew right from the beginning that I was going to gear them to college because I really thought they need to have that opportunity to be able to go to college. So I investigated that. And we have a local community college that took, um, that takes, well, anyone who can pass the exam, really, um, around about 15, our children were when they went um, to get into the college and start taking what they call dual credit courses, which means that once they graduate from high school, once I graduate them from high school, whatever age I want to graduate them, the, all the courses they had taken count towards high school and college. Okay. So by the time they graduated from high school, a couple of years after going in at 15, so around about 17, they probably had a good 40 or 50 credit hours under their belt college-wise, which is almost the first two years of community college or first two years of college. And they were all ready to go on to a four-year college just for, the, just for the last two years. And so my two boys did that, and uh, one of them did film, the other one did science because he wanted to be a zookeeper. And um, the two girls, one of them went and did teach training, and my youngest one is a performer, a musical um, and dance performer. So she has finished with that. And so um, all but her, uh, she's, she's only just graduated, um, are working in their fields. So that's great. I mean, you know, we yeah. really instilled in them a love for um, what it was that they wanted to do and helped them to choose their jobs, not necessarily with the bottom line in mind, but more their sanity in mind. You know, are you yes. really going to enjoy this? Is this something? Because my husband and I have always, always followed what we've wanted to do. And money has been almost an afterthought, I suppose. I mean, I'm not saying that we didn't struggle. We did struggle. We weren't, we're not hugely wealthy or anything, but you know, we went 20 years on one income yeah that we had to decide to do as homeschoolers and so we learned how to have fun without spending lots of money so mm. so that's what my children are doing they're in the arts my son's a filmmaker he's actually working on Dallas the second season of Dallas as an editor hey super. Uh, yeah right here in town and then my other son the zookeeper is um he's, he's the one getting married and he and his fiance are going to um, they're bird trainers the two of them so they're going to work on their own bird shows <coughs> and um my teacher daughter has decided that it is a little bit more lucrative <laughs> being a nanny. She has discovered the world of nannying. Yes. And that is, has been really good for her. And, it, and it's varied. You know, sometimes she's there on her own with the child. But sometimes mom is at home working and needing somebody to watch the, the child, you know, or the children or whatever. So she's doing that. And um, then my youngest one is just auditioning all over the place, trying to get herself you know, sort of on stage or oh. yeah, on a cruise yeah. or something. So, yeah, college, yeah, they can definitely do it as homeschoolers. They, and the colleges love homeschoolers because they're so self-motivated. Mm. You know, so. oh, that sounds great. Yeah. See, 
the the other part I was I was thinking about is that since you are through also into a, new, a different season, like you said at the very beginning, that your children have left home now. Well, mostly left home because we always come home, don't <laughs> they we? They do. But um, mostly left home now, and you're back to being just your husband and yourself. If you look back to the time when the children were at home and and having four of them with the age gaps that you've described, then you had them quite. When they were young, there was quite a lot that was going on yeah. under the age of eight. I'm sure. Is it four of them under the age of eight? If I'm, if I'm working out right. I had four, six, and under. My, my oh, oldest yeah. was six when my baby was born. So right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So it was it was quite a busy season, and that's mm-hmm. the season that most of the listeners and most of us are in at the moment. Mm-hmm. And so when you look back at that time, because you you have the distance and the perspective now, when you look back at that time. What would you say to yourself or to us as parents about raising a playful tot in that season? In that season? Well, Mm. I was um, always, as I said, you know, they would use my kitchen. The house was theirs. My responsibility was to make sure that anything that was precious to me was put out of reach. Okay, so if they did happen to break something that I had accidentally left out, I really, you know, I, I would try it I knew it wasn't deliberate but I would think to myself you know I need to be more careful because the children don't need to be wandering around my house worried that they might get into trouble for doing something that they're completely unaware of and so with that in mind my children I pretty much allowed them to um they would play in every single room I have quite a large house they were allowed to do that. They, I would set them little activities like, you know, the younger ones, go count all my shoes in my closet and that kind of stuff. And they, they just remember all of those things. If they wanted to have an obstacle course in the huge living room, that was fine. You know, as long as they put it all away afterwards or included us in the game, you know, we used to like <laughs> to do that too. Uh, don't touch pink and the whole car, all the carpet was pink, you know, and so they'd, they'd be on the furniture. You can imagine, I mean, my house was not a mess. It wasn't one of those houses where you just couldn't get in the front door. But it definitely was a house where four children lived, you know? Yes. And we had a day once a week where we cleaned the house and they all had their assigned rooms that they had chosen that they would clean. One had to be a public room. One had to be their bedroom. And then they shared the bathrooms and and the kitchen as like a utility type room. So, and we would get that done in an hour, you know, and I, in order to get that kind of help from them, I had to drop some of my housekeeping standards, you know, because I didn't want to go back and re-clean the windows that they had cleaned or the mirror or the skirting board or whatever, or vacuum, re-vacuum. So it would just have to do... And I would try and encourage them, you know, maybe you could look a little bit more closely and, you know, do it a little bit more slowly, perhaps to trying to rush through it, because you're still going to give me an hour, regardless, you know, so you yes. can rush through it or not, it's going to, you, you can't get finished early. And so this, this, um, so they had a sense of it being their home too. So that, so they became, you know, sort of more proud of it, they had a vested interest in, in the house. And it was funny because if they had people over, if they had a party or something, I'd see them get out all the cleaning stuff and they would clean the house, whether it was clean day or not, to clean the <laughs> house for their friends to come. And I thought, oh, that's that's without me, you know, having to tell them or having to formally teach them to do that. They just did it by example. And so 
our house was kind of like a romper room, I suppose, and um, developed from there as they got older. I allowed them to put things up on the wall, uh, you know, if they wanted a, um, an art gallery. Just I was just flexible like that. And, and they ate when they wanted to eat. They had full access to the refrigerator. I know this sounds funny, but I didn't as a child growing up. I had to ask for everything. I, my house was not, where I grew up was not mine. It was my parents' home, you know? Mm, and so yes. I, I changed, I, I became probably a little bit more liberal um, than I would have done had I not had exactly the same upbringing that I had. And, um, you know, and so the children consequently were very much children in my house, you know, and they respected it. They didn't, nothing got broken, no walls got kicked in. I never had, you know, anybody crayon on my walls because I always had plenty. I had lots of things stored away that they could use. I always had butcher's paper and construction paper and crayons and pencils and everything. So I don't know. Yes, that uh, is, did that answer your question? A yeah, little bit? yeah. It, it did. I was yeah. just wondering what it was like um, when you had all of them and you had to try and structure the day and the things that you were doing, is there anything that you would say that you would have done differently if looking back that you wish that you had done it slightly differently? You know, I was thinking about that and I thought, you know, there are some things that I would like to have done differently. Like I would have liked to have traveled more because when you're a homeschooler, you're really not tied to school, um, you know, sort of schedules or timetables. So you literally can travel. And the only thing we did was we would always take our summer break when everybody else went back to school. It was slightly less expensive and it wasn't as crowded. But we'd only do it locally here in in Texas because we really couldn't afford to go to any sort of further flung places. So I would say that I would have I would have loved to have been able to travel more, but I was thinking the reason why I didn't do some of the things that I would look back on and say, oh, I wish I'd done that or oh, I wish I had done that was because that the time, I couldn't for one reason or another. There were other things going on. So it seems as though my life has unfolded and I can look back and say, I could have done that differently. But when I was in that time, I don't think the choice was there. There were other situations going on. And so I moved forward and made the best of what was going on at the time. And I think that's that's something important because my husband was unemployed for quite a long period of time while I homeschooled. So there were two of us not working, you know. Yes. And I thought I could jump on the bandwagon and go back to work, but I didn't. I I had we had agreed that my children, the children, you know, sort of came first and we had decided to homeschool. That was our responsibility. And we did. We, we were able to stick to it. And, you know, I had in-laws that would look at me and say, you should just go out and get a job instead of doing this. And I said, I'm not going to because this is what I have decided that I'm going to do. It's the best for the children and for us. And it always worked out. It, it was always worked out in the end perfectly. You know, we never missed a mortgage payment. We never went hungry. We mm-hmm. always, you know, and s- somehow it always worked out. So, you know, the grace of God, I always say. Um, mm-hmm. So I really can't say that there wasn't, I was flexible. I already was all of that. You know, would I be more, would I be more rigid? No. Because, you know, I asked the one child that's still at home. I said, I'm having this interview and we're going to talk about what homeschooling was like. And she said, well, mom, I just lo-. when I look back on homeschooling, I just love it. Everything, everything that we did, we loved. 
So, you know, and she said, the first thing she said actually was, we weren't allowed to homeschool in our bedrooms. And I said, would you have liked to have done? She said, no, no. She said, I liked the fact that I wasn't allowed to because she'd have got too distracted, you see, in her bedroom. And I knew that. And so they had to do it out in the open. You know, we ended up doing it just on my bed most of the time. We did it in yeah. my bedroom. We could do it in my bedroom. Can't do it in their bedroom. <laughs> so, um, no, really, I don't have any any of that. Because so many things have changed. A lot of stuff has changed. Much mm. more electronic going on. There's much more communi- global communication going on. I'm glad we didn't have that when I was, you know, with them when they were young. Because that's a struggle. I think that's yes. a big struggle trying to keep that tempered and I would say I would say actually to your listeners because I was I was blessed not to have the cell phones and the internet when I was raising my children keep it real keep it face to face the conversation you know a friend is really a friend if you can actually sit and look at them and talk to them these friends on Facebook and these friends you know they're they're just they're just virtual and it really you know sort of I don't know, it takes away from that intimacy. My children mm-hmm. love to come and just sit and have a cup of tea with me. And they want me to sit and talk to them for about 30 or 40 minutes, regardless of what I've got going on in my day, even now. And I just love that. You know, they, they have that sense of communication. And I think that there is the potential for us to lose that mm-hmm. in today's world. And that's it's, it's so important. Those, you know... Not going, not rushing off to your room, their rooms to play their video games or to watch their TV shows, but to sit with the family and play a board game or a word game or read a book, you know, and have dinner together and make dinner together and clean up together and, you know, just that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That time yeah. Together. Working together, it sounds yeah. as if that that's something that you've really treasured. Yeah. Um, you you mentioned a little earlier about how your husband was um, off work for some time and that. At other times he was at home um, and you were all together. What was it like during that time raising children and trying to keep your relationship special between your husband as well? Because I know that lots of people in this season have a difficult time with balancing their um, needs of their partner with their children, with tiredness, with um, finding space and time for relationships and, you know, raising a playful tot. Mm-hmm. How, what, how did you manage to get that to work so well? Well, first thing that popped into my mind was we love picnics. We're a picnic family. So we would get up, all of us, we would, we would just kind of say, let's have lunch outside. And so we pack our you know, lunches in our backpacks or whatever and go find a wood or somewhere and do that. And so including my husband when he was at home like that as part of the um, homeschool and, and, you know, letting the children have this special relationship with him um, all during the day when he didn't actually have to be sitting down working because he didn't have, apart from looking for a job, he didn't have a job. Um, and then the two of us together, well, I took a leaf out of um, my, my British book and they were all in bed by seven when they yep. were young. Early bedtimes, you know, 6.30, it would be read, wind down, in bed, not out of your room, 7 o'clock hits, that's it. And, of course, my contempt- my counterparts, 8, 9, 10, 11 o'clock, you know, whenever their child wants to go to bed. So they had no time together. My husband and I would eat at that time. You know, afterwards, we would eat a little bit later. Um, and at the weekend... 
the children on a Saturday would have to go into their rooms at six. They didn't have to go to bed or go to sleep or anything, but they had to actually find something to do and leave us alone. And they could all go into the same room if they wanted to, if they wanted, if they had some game going on or whatever. Um, so we would have what we've since found is called date night. We didn't actually officially call it date <laughs> night, but that's obviously what it was. And then, then there would be a very special gourmet meal because my husband's a cook. He loves to cook and um, a glass of wine um, with our meal. And the children knew that was really it. Even if they were awake, they could not come and disturb us. And we always have done that. Always. We still do it. As still the weekend is our very special time when we, you know, make an extra effort to set the table in a particular way and light the candles. And our children have grown up with that, and I'm sure they'll take it with them. And, um, yeah, that's that's how we – we didn't go out a lot because we couldn't afford to go out. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we could, afford, if we did go and see a movie, we used to think we should really take the children with us because it's not fair because they're not going to see movies either because we didn't have TV or anything going on in our house. And so we would all go. We just did an awful lot of things together. But my husband and I kept that that night, that Saturday, you know, early evening into the into the uh, later night for for ourselves, and we were we were able to do that. Well, that's brilliant. It's It's been really lovely listening to all the different ways that we can raise the playful top from your perspective, because you've been through this stage and this season and you've, you're out, you're out the other side and you're saying all these positive things that really encourage us to, you know, continue to do the right things. So we're coming up towards the end now. And I, I tend to ask a few questions at the end that try and get to know each guest a little bit further. And one of them is, what two actions have you taken in the last two years, would you say, that have had a positive effect on your life? All right. Well, two years ago, my husband and I decided to go with my daughter, who was completing her final year um, in the performing arts in England. So we decided that we would go with her for the year while she went to college move in with my mom, who was just living by herself. My father had died a couple of years prior to that. And sort of be, be company with my mom and just, just leave our house in the capable hands of our sons. Ha ha. And, <laughs> and just go to England for a year. Okay, so we did that. And um, unfortunately, my mom was taken really ill just before we got there. And she did. She died four days after I arrived. And I say to my husband, why did we even pick that date? It was such an arbitrary date to choose to go because my daughter didn't even start school until September there. And we went in June. You know, I'm going, why did we do that anyway? So there was a reason. And so we decided that we would stick with our plan anyway. And we stayed in in my mum's place in London for the year. Now, that changed a lot of things. One, it threw my husband and I together. We no longer had the children that we could hide behind anymore. When, you know, when something was a little bit irritating, we could always look over to one of our children and, you know, focus on what they were doing and, you know, sort of use that as a a distraction. Or that a child might come in when you're in the middle of maybe a little bit of a disagreement and the child would have an opinion about (laughs) what that was about, you know. And we no longer had that. It was just pure and simple, my husband and myself. Mm -hmm. And we discovered that we still did 
like each other and that we could still get on. It was really a learning process. I must, I have to admit that, you know, I suddenly discovered things about him that I had no idea even were there and they must have been, but they were just completely and utterly diluted, I suppose, by the presence of four other people in your house. So, um, you know, we strengthened our bonds and we were able to have, you know, sort of good conversations and enjoy each other's company and be quiet in the same place because we went from like a 3,000 square foot house down to a 900 square foot flat and yes. you know it was it was it was small but it was beautiful so we 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 managed to do that so that was positive for us and we we were able to kind of pull away from our children a bit because that's difficult when it starts to become empty nest yeah for our children it was really good because you see there was a whole period of time there every day when they couldn't contact us while they were awake because of the six hour time difference you see so that was <laughs> that was great too so we knew we weren't gonna because they had skype and um so they could call us at the drop of a hat, but they couldn't get to us at the drop of a hat, you know, for help and stuff. And so they had to manage on their own because we weren't there anymore. And they did. I mean, they were living in their family home, so it wasn't as if they were in a strange place. But things like the pool pump would conk out, you know, and it yes. would be midnight or one o'clock in the morning in England. They knew they couldn't call us. They could, yes. but they knew that they shouldn't unless it was a dire <laughs> emergency. And yes. um, so they had to deal with that themselves. So, and they, they said they did, they, they grew a lot too. So that was really good. That's um, brilliant. That could count as two things. Well, that okay. counts as two things. Um, no, but I do have a second thing. It's my son. When I came home, my son was madly in love with this, with this um, um, woman that he had met at the zoo makes her sound really old, but I don't like to say girl. She was <laughs> a young, a young lady, a young lady. Okay? okay, yeah. And they wanted to start their own business, and I said, "Well, if you're going to start your own business, and you're going to be travelling together, then perhaps." And she said, "He said, yes, I want to propose to her." And I said, "Well, go ahead and propose to her." And he said, "You think so?" And I said, "Yes." So he did, and she said, "Yes." And so now they're getting married, and I'm learning, as I said. Um, I think um, in a conversation before that I am having to allow them to lead their own lives now, make their own decisions. And really, I don't need to be saying anything. It's their life, you know. So yes. that's that's something that I'm, I'm having to um, experience. And actually, my younger son is probably my more easygoing son. So he's a good person to make all the mistakes with, you know, <laughs> put my foot in it. He's, he's, he's very understanding, so... That's brilliant. Yeah, That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So if we look back now then to the year 2000, the, the question is, what were you doing 13 years ago? And the year 2000 I tend to do because that's the year that we, we remember because it was the big deal, you know, the year 2000. So what were you doing in that time, do you say? What were we doing? Okay, so my children were 8, 10, 12, and 14. They were okay. all at home. I knew where they all were. At night when I went to bed, you know, that's another thing is, my goodness, be happy with your young, young ones, because you're all under the same roof all the time, you know exactly where they are at all times. When they get older and start driving and start having friends, all of a sudden, you know, you look at your, your watch and you go, it's midnight and she's still not home. Where is she? You know, and, and uh, you know, so I had all my children under one roof, so I didn't have those worries. Um, my husband was unemployed at the time, so we were battling that. 
Um, they were doing, the children were very heavily, all of them, into gymnastics. They did that. And my boys, until their voices broke, were um, doing Texas Boys Choir. And here I am talking about my children. I'm trying to think, what was I <laughs> doing? I was probably involved in theatre because we were heavily involved in theatre. And I would have been stage managing maybe a show um, that year. I uh, can't remember what it is, though, what it was. Um, yeah, uh, pretty much we were well in the swing. I was an old hand by that time at homeschooling. I'd been doing it for, what, nearly seven years by that time. Yep. So, uh -huh. And everybody knew what they were supposed to do in their routines. We were still in the same house. We've been in this house now for 29 years. So um, very, very stable family. So, yeah, yeah, that's what I was. That's pretty much what we were doing, uh, just homeschooling a lot and uh, enjoying yeah, and each other's company and getting you know doing we were doing theater and gymnastics and yep very artsy very good we Excellent. are very artsy yeah. <laughs> yeah well today i've been talking to vivian mcnenny teacher homeschooler and host of the sociable homeschooler thanks for being on the show today vivian oh you're welcome melissa thank you so much for asking me and i'll be right back after this short break how do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Girlfriended is on Toginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The Girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out Girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. How was that? Melissa asked me a couple of thought-provoking questions to help me prepare for our interview about experience I'd wished I'd had, things I'd wished I'd done, what had empowered me and helped me through, and two actions that I'd taken in the last two years that made a positive change in all our lives. I'll get to those in just a minute, but first, back to a tradition that has lasted for 23 years. The 60-minute cassettes I recorded were just long enough to accommodate most of my children's current favourite books without overtaxing my vocal cords. Since I knew I only had to read the book once, I became ambitious in my performances and added voices, giggles and word plays. For example, I read a spell from Silly Tilly Witch backwards and chanted another book from beginning to end. It was short. I made up tunes to poetry verses and experimented with accents. All my mistakes were further, were forever woven into the fabric of the story. The beauty of these recordings lay in their consistency. 
A tune would never be forgotten or a nuance missed. The stories could be listened to over and over again with a predictability my young family thrived on. The only snag in this technique was when I was asked to read one of the books live. Oh, they corrected me without mercy on the right way to read it. They were the experts now. Their collection of birthday tapes has grown and our audio library ensures that I never have to read another book again that I find tiresome and which they love passionately. Amelia Bedelia and Dr. Seuss are forever immortalised on the birthday tapes and no longer have to grace the top shelves of my booked cases. Guest appearances have been made on these oral treasures over the years. Their blue-eyed dad, of course, grandparents and other relatives from England and East Texas, friends and siblings. The family dog faithfully howled every time I sang happy birthday. Must have hurt his ears. The duration of the tapes increased to 90 minutes because of the change in book length. The format changed with the times too. CDs for a short while, then technology had a growth spurt. And the year my oldest daughter turned 18, yes, I was still making birthday tapes then, she downloaded my latest effort into her iPod and left to volunteer on a hospital ship in West Africa. I'm told the storybooks from her childhood were a hit among her friends. The masters have been copied and stored for safekeeping to be added to and enjoyed by future generations. And as with all good ideas, a new project looms. When things settle down in our almost empty but still busy McNinney household, I'll start on the laborious but delightful task of downloading the tapes onto my record, my computer. This, I'm told, is called capturing and can be achieved quite easily with the knowledge of where to plug in the correct leads and chords. Once captured and cuffed, it can be downloaded onto all things I and forever stored in a cloud, or so I've heard. Technology. What a wonder, especially for the historian in me. In our world of homeschooling, modification was a key component. Curriculum springs to mind. After the first couple of years, I threw away the formal stuff that came in a box because my self-confidence had grown enough to show me that I was fully capable of choosing my own books with which to teach my children. I also found that I could structure the semester or year to suit our needs. We could work for six weeks and have two weeks off or take the month of December off completely or aim to be finished by Easter when it fell later in the year. Everything we did eventually counted as school that didn't let on to the children. I became less regimented and enjoyed my offspring, allowing them to self-direct some of their activities as they grew older. Because they were all college-bound, I felt it to be an important thing that they had the option if they wanted it. They followed a rigorous regimen of reading, writing, arithmetic, science and a foreign language. But once that was completed, they were free to follow their interests. If there are things now I wish I'd done when those then, those are fruitless thoughts. I was in a season of one income, sometimes none, and I may have dreamt and wished for many things we couldn't do, but I was happy with the choices we did make. And if at times things appeared to be blundering off in the wrong direction, we were able to stop, take stock, and retrace our steps. For the most part, because we were governed by our times and our situation, I don't look back and wish I'd done something different. Talking to each child individually, I'm told they enjoyed all aspects of their childhoods. They declare they wouldn't want to change anything. We were grounded, although we could have moved around more. We stayed put, a discipline straight out of the Benedictine rule. 
My husband's job meant he was location independent, but we never took advantage of that, preferring the stability of growing up in one house, unlike a lot of our friends or me as a child. We are who we are today because of what we did and what we had. There were reasons why we couldn't or didn't follow all of our dreams. As one of my nomadic friends says, making a choice to do something means making a choice not to do several other things. We trusted in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6. And our paths were made straight. Many times through sermons and teachings, we were told that in all things, we were exactly where God wanted us to be. God's like that. He can deal with multiples when it comes to doing the best for everyone. Sometimes we can't figure out things, but slowly and surely, I see the direction I'm to take, the path I have been gently guided along, and I'm empowered to do whatever it is I'm drawn to do with God on my side. Who am I to fear? It's been a long path to reach this certainty, and still I doubt And then I fall upon his grace every day. I'm strengthened and emboldened to face the world, his world. And there are two actions in the last two years that made a positive change in our lives. Hobbs and I moved to England and everything fell into place as far as the children growing more independent was concerned and our relationship with each other. A tough love lesson. Our sons ended up living in the family home and learned that Having a full-time job, running a house, and finding time for social activities was next to impossible. So some things fell by the wayside, mainly our house. As a couple, we rediscovered the people we fell in love with some 20-some-odd years ago. In the meantime, my youngest son proposed to his girlfriend. That was another action that um, made a positive change in our lives. Now we know that he has a wife and his role around us will change. He now has someone that he has to look after and nurture and be responsible for. So um, they're married now and they are planning to start their own business. Now, that is a challenge in itself and demands an awful lot of work and we will support them heartily because we've always encouraged our children to follow their dreams not to do something just for the money. So as the mother of young adults, I'm learning to step back and let their lives unfold without parental interference. Sometimes it's difficult. And as far as my blue-eyed cowboy and I go, well, in the next few years, hopefully we'll be able to see our path that's laid out for us. I know we may do some traveling. We will be location um, independent and probably take full advantage of that. Here's hoping. And that's the end of my show for this week. So you have a truly blessed weekend and I'll be back next week to tell you all about our move. So join me same time, same place, Friday at noon in Texas or 6 p.m. in London. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hardworking staff at Tokinet Radio, me as my guest this week, with Melissa Avila asking the questions, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah, Joel, Rosemary, Kathleen, Jane, Olivia, Tina, and oodles of others who are part of my growing audience. Don't forget to listen to my friend Ali Laprete on Mondays at 7 Central, This Little Parent Stayed Home, and Sandy Fowler at Hartfield Holidays, also on Mondays at 1pm. Better yet, 
Why don't you stay tuned all the time and catch lots of great shows to glide you through your day. Take care and be safe. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Doop, doop, doop. Doop, Bye. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Toginat. The Sociable Homeschooler is Vivian's attempt to help dispel the stereotypical homeschool family. She and her husband have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who are willing guinea pigs for her foray into homeschooling, the Wildflower Academy, which flourished for 15 years. Vivian is here to be an encourager to all of you who are thinking of homeschooling. Plus, you'll have some great ideas on homework, vacations, keeping science projects in the house, and being popular versus popularity. So, we'll see you here next Friday for another engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNenny. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com.